Hello and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, your podcast host for today, and with me, as ever, is Barnaby King. Hello there. Hello, and how are you getting on? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I've been very interested in the bowel movements of our rabbit recently. You have? Yes, because he... <laughs> we went out to a garden centre recently to get loads of new plants for the garden, and Amelia bought some magnolias, and he proceeded to eat them in the they pot. They were marigolds, but yes. Sorry, not... Yeah, marigolds, not magnolias. Oh, um, well. Yeah, and he, he was feeling a little bit unwell, so I've just been making mm. sure. Don't worry, though, everyone. He is absolutely fine. <laughs> He just had a couple of days feeling a bit sorry for himself. As he should. Indeed. He ate all of my marigolds. Well, there's one left. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, to get over this and to help Lombardi get over this, shall I tell you a medieval story that basically starts off a bit like a Mills and Boone story? Oh, fantastic. Yes, please. Okay. So this is the story of Eleanor Cobham. Eleanor Cobham. Eleanor Cobham. So she was born in the year 1400 Mm -hmm. and she was a member of the lesser nobility. Her father was a Sir Cobham, but they're not anything above that, right? Oh, right, I see. In about 1422, she became a lady-in-waiting for a very important woman who was Jacqueline de Hainault. Jacqueline was, of her own right, the ruler of the counties of Holland, Zealand and Hainault, which are all in the Low Countries. Right. And the next year after she'd become the lady-in-waiting for Jacqueline, Jacqueline married Humphrey, the Duke of Gloucester. Okay. So Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, was really, really important. (laughs) And he's called Humphrey. And he's called Humphrey. It was a very popular name at the time. Yeah, it's just one of those names that kind of... It it carries a look in my head. And the thing is, I don't know of many Humphreys. Mm. Uh... I can only think of two off the top of my head, and one of them's fictional. Yeah. Because uh, there's Humphrey Littleton. Yeah. Alas, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Sir Humphrey from Yes Minister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are pretty much the two Humphreys I can think of off the top of my head. And to be fair, neither of them really look like the sort of vision of Humphrey that I have in my head. Is your vision of Humphrey more like the guy I'm certain was called Humphrey from The Vicar of Dibley? Quite possibly. I never really watched The Vicar of Dibley. Oh, okay. No. He's a bit dim. Ah, right. Oh, is he the one who stutters? Yeah. Ah, right. Yes. Yeah, that is definitely more of the look. So, but this Humphrey is actually a very intelligent Humphrey. Okay. Much like Lord Humphrey and Humphrey Mm -hmm. Littleton. Yep. Um, But he gets married to Jacqueline, partly because it's a massively advantageous marriage for both of them. And that is why you get married in the medieval period. It is. So... Jacqueline is the ruler of these three counties in the Low Countries, but she doesn't actually have control over them because two of the counties, Holland and Zealand, don't accept her as their ruler, but instead have accepted her uncle. Oh, right. Is this some sexist bullshit? It's probably some sexist bullshit, Fair enough. So she wants a husband who can help her fight, and Humphrey um, was the uncle to the king. Oh, wow, okay. At the time, the king was Henry the Sixth. Right. He was two years old. Oh my god! <laughs> this is the Wars of the Roses. Oh right, right, okay. Yeah. A nice tumultuous period. Very tumultuous. So <laughs> Humphrey was the brother of Henry the Fifth, 
who had recently died, leaving his two-year-old son as king. Mm. And that meant that Humphrey was, as his uncle, was the Lord Protector of England. Man, the Tudor period always starts much earlier than I think it does. For some reason, in my head, the Tudor period always sort of straddles the 1600s. Yeah, no, it it does. Well, it goes into the 1600s, but it it ends in like 1604. Yeah, but this is the thing. In my head, it's very much like Tudor period. Oh, that's about 1600s, right? I think it's because you're thinking about Shakespeare. I think it is too. And he only comes in like super late. Yeah, I think that's it though. Mm. So we've got the War of the Roses going on, which means Mm -hmm. that everything is like up in the air. We also have the Hundred Years' War at the same time. Ah, excellent. So this meant that Humphrey's older brother, because he's not the oldest of the brothers at this point, right? Uh, who was the Duke of Bedford, yeah, uh, was also a regent. Mm. But he was the regent in France. Right. Because at the time, everyone's claiming that the King of England is also the King of France. Right. Quick question. Yes. Does the Wars of the Roses, does that count as a civil war? Yes. It does? Yeah. Okay. We've so, had a couple of them. It's just that it's only the civil war that we've called the civil war. I was going to say, yeah, because we don't, we don't call anything else the civil war. We don't have like Civil War 1 and Civil no. War 2. We've had a bunch of civil wars, though. I mean, we even had like a little mini war back when Queen Mary I was trying to get on the throne as well. Oh, yeah, that makes sense as well. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I I don't know why it just popped into my head that, you know, it must be a civil war, but we only have one that we call a civil war. Yeah. We always refer to this as the Wars of the Roses. Well, it sounds cooler. I think it's also because it went on for a really long time. Like, it's not defined civil war. Yeah. Whereas I guess the civil war is like... It's quite short. Yeah, it's quite short, pretty brutal. It's quite obvious who's on what side. Yeah, because they've got nicely delineated haircuts. Yes, exactly. (laughs) As Jeremy Hardy said, one side looks like the Grumbleweeds, the other side looks like Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. Absolutely. Some timely references. Yay! Um, So here's the deal. So we've got all of these things happening. Jacqueline and Humphrey head to the continent as soon as they get married so that Humphrey can start trying to get Jacqueline's land back. Right, okay. they go along with their household, including our lady we're following, Eleanor, Mm -hmm. and a small army. Ah, nice. Now, during their time in the Low Countries, Humphrey and Jacqueline kept getting separated. (laughs) Okay. And during this time, he started to have an affair with Eleanor. Oh, no. Humphrey, you cad. Well, Humphrey's marriage was just for diplomatic purposes. Yeah, fair enough. It was Jacqueline's third marriage. Yeah. Um for reasons she still like people thought that she still might technically be married to her previous husband right i see um but eleanor was not only beautiful and young but she was also very intelligent right so it's a it's a love affair rather than just a a sordid tumble mm. Incidentally, the military expedition to try and recapture these con- these countries was like a complete bust. Oh no! Did not happen. Didn't work. Um, <laughs> and Jacqueline was captured. Oh no! So- <laughs> oh wow! That that's gone about as bad as it could possibly go. Yeah. So then Humphrey left her there. Oh no! It's gone even worse. <laughs> Don't worry. She did a cool thing and escaped dressed as a man. Oh, amazing! But Humphrey left her there and returned to England with Eleanor. <laughs> Not knowing that Jacqueline is on her way. <laughs> Jacqueline doesn't doesn't apparently give a shit about Humphrey at this point. Uh, She's like, enough. he failed to get her lands back. 
um, she's got a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah. She already technically owns these places. Yeah. And besides which, she's pretty cool, to be honest. So you've mentioned uh, Holland, Zealand, and what was the third place? Uh, Hainault. Hainault. I don't know uh, about that. Now, the other two, as far as I am aware, you're kind of going out of France at this point. Yes, um, these are the Netherlands. Exactly. So who was in control of the Netherlands? Did they were they independent? Were they technically part of France or? Oh, um, I think at this point they were independent of France. They were their own country. Right. Okay. Later on, the Spanish take them over. Right. For reasons which I have never been clear on, but I'm sure I'll find out one day. I was just curious if you know they were happy with them bringing over English troops to try and. Quell the oh. <laughs> dissidents, as it were. I imagine not, because they've already said, okay, we don't want Jacqueline. Yeah. So they probably definitely don't want English soldiers there. I feel like at this sort of point, I know the kings too. Yeah. But surely someone should have gone, hang on, this might start us off with a third war. We've uh, got two on the go already. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, trying to reclaim the lands of your wife is like a solid plan for medieval people that never seems to cause that issue oh, I, I don't know why this was the case with john of gaunt as well okay. who similarly was married to a lady for her land and then married his mistress excellent um but that was like a hundred years before yeah okay so moving on at this point basically humphrey's political opponents on the continent keep trying to get his marriage to Jacqueline declared void. Right. They keep being like, she was married to her previous husband. That divorce never went through. Right. So your marriage should get annulled. <laughs> Bloody bureaucracy. Yeah. Holding up the divorce papers. <laughs> the EU gone mad. <laughs> oh my God, it is, it isn't is. it? It is. <laughs> now, because he realised at this point that he wasn't going to get this land. Yeah. Humphrey was like, Abs- like, fine, we'll just annul the marriage. We'll say it never happened. Oh, fair. So some historians argue that that marriage didn't count at all anyway. Well, Um, I mean, it sounds like it happened, but, you know, just not legally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So in 1428, he married Eleanor. Right. So as you can see, there's definitely a kind of romance thing going on through here. Especially because her rank was so far below the Dukes. I was going to say, yeah. That's why I kind of feel like this is a bit Mills and Booney. It is. You know, it's like he overlooked her lack of status because (laughs) she was so beautiful and intelligent and wonderful and interested in art, which she was. It's that bit in one of the Bertie Wooster books by P.G. Woodhouse. Oh, (laughs) the factory. Only a factory girl. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, basically. I mean, if if you kind of overlook the fact that she was part of the nobility. Well, but, yes. But she's lower nobility. Yeah. It's like when everyone was calling Princess Diana a commoner. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, mm, she isn't, though. <laughs> How dare you? She was a filthy, filthy commoner. Just like the rest of us. And she was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Eleanor. Anyway, so Eleanor's rank was so far below that of the Duke. And that usually when the duke got married because he is so close to the crown it should bring some land mm-hmm. or some diplomatic benefits or economic or yep. military no nothing ah fair so enough. everyone's a bit cross yeah yeah it sounds like he should you know do the honorable thing and marry someone for power and then keep eleanor as a mistress again yeah basically but you know he really loved her and he went you know what it'll be fine i mean he's Two steps away from the crown, yeah. as it is, because we've still got the king on the throne. Mm-hmm. 
who is, you know, rapidly growing up and at some point will be grown up. <laughs> <laughs> and we've still got the uh, the Duke of Bedford as well. I mean, the king is very small currently and, you know, small, vulnerable. He could be just one step from the kit from the throne. Don't say that. That's treason. <laughs> So while they were married, Eleanor and Humphrey seem to have been really interesting people, actually. Okay. So they set about establishing themselves as patrons of the arts. Oh, delightful. They set up a palace at Greenwich. Right. uh, Which I think was called La Plaisance, but I'm not 100% sure. Mm, These are starting to sound like some metropolitan liberal elite to me. They totally were. Mm. Um, Their palace, by the way, stood exactly where the Royal Observatory is now. Oh, right. Um, and it got frequented by artists, writers, and philosophers. Yeah. So, you know, when we've talked about Eleanor of Aquitaine's court before, mm-hmm. that's kind of the vibe we're going for, right. but on a lesser scale, yeah. obviously. Well, you don't have, they don't have the entirety of the Aquitaine to do it. No, they don't. <laughs> and Humphrey was also a sponsor of Oxford University. Oh, damn. He donated more than 280 books to their library, which is a massive amount for the time. Yeah. Like, if you think about... That's probably about a third of the library. (laughs) (laughs) I think there were, in the end, like, 100 copies of uh, The Canterbury Tales. Oh, wow. um, Like, that are still extant from from medieval times. Oh, that's amazing. I know. And so if you think about 280 books, that's a lot. Especially because it's still hand copying and all that kind of thing. And, you know, beautiful creations there is still a library named for humphrey in oxford university oh that's nice it's super nice it's very cute it's got more than 280 books and there's a little cubby hole named after eleanor (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) however all was not well despite the fact that they had this sort of beautiful romantic relationship doing all of the best medieval style things oh no Because of Eleanor's low status and her sudden rise to power, she was really disliked by a lot of people at court. (laughs) Yeah? Oh, it's just Humphrey and his wives, his wives who were just hated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the court, I think, were okay with uh, Jacqueline. They just don't like Eleanor. I know, but... Jacqueline had her own people who hated her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) The Dutch. (laughs) Yeah, well, apparently Humphrey used to get into a lot of arguments with people as well. So he wasn't especially liked himself. Right, okay, fair enough. Um, But, you know, when somebody doesn't like someone, it's very easy to go, and their wife. Yeah, I I see what you mean. You know, when you're like, Boris Johnson and Carrie. Yeah. Mm. So basically, these people started to try and find a way to either get rid of her or reduce her power or Humphrey's power or something. Yeah, makes sense. And then in 1435, the Duke of Bedford died. Oh, okay. And that caused loads of problems for Eleanor and Humphrey. Yeah. Well, because first of all, the Duke of Bedford was really good friends with the Duke of Burgundy. Okay. And the Duke of Burgundy only had an alliance with England because of Bedford. Right. So as soon as Bedford dies, the Duke of Burgundy kind of breaks off his allegiance and switches over to French allegiance. Right. And that meant that the Hundred Years' War, which we're in... Oh, I see. Yeah, that... Okay, so that is quite important. (laughs) That is quite important. It got a lot harder, and there were loads of arguments in, like, the King's Council. And the thing is, Humphrey's argumentative, and lots of people start disagreeing with him on how to run the war in France. Yeah. And they also have less less wine available to them now, so they're going to get cranky. (laughs) I mean, that might actually be true. (laughs) There was one point in history, and I don't remember when it was, when the Earl of Arundel 
uh, basically pirated two French ships full of wine and was really popular with everyone <laughs> for about 10 years. That's amazing. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, people are very simple in some ways. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Just give them lots of free booze and they'll be yes. happy. Also, the fact that Bedford is dead means that Duke Humphrey is now the heir to the throne. Right. And that also means that Eleanor, effectively almost a commoner, yeah. could become queen if Henry VI dies. Can't have that. We cannot have that. Um, Henry VI had a really tough life, by the way. He's yeah. known for, in Shakespeare, going mad when oh, he right. got older and being overborne by his wife and all those kinds right, of things. Right, I see. So I think the idea that a teenage Henry VI, which he was heading towards teenage times, yeah. could have just died was an actual possibility that yeah. people had in their minds. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, we're thinking about Shakespeare, though, who probably didn't look kind... Actually, no, he might have looked kindly on Henry VI. Um, he didn't look as kindly on Henry VI as other people did, apparently. Oh, right, yeah. He did I- do, like two whole plays about him no i know but i mean shakespeare his writing is kind of political for the time so he praises some people and disparages others to kind of gain favor at court that's true yeah i can't remember his view on henry the sixth but Mm. in any case this is kind of like the view of history yeah and i mean in actuality he seems to have lived quite a sad life and i think he did go insane oh that's sad yeah oh um so, in 1435, same year Bedford dies, Yeah, Eleanor was also named in jointure to Humphrey. And that meant that if she outlived him, then she would still inherit all his estates. Oh, damn. Which, you know, was not at all the case for aristocracy that the wife would inherit what the yeah. husband had had. So that makes her really wealthy. Mm, and a little bit dangerous. And pretty dangerous. Apparently the reason they did this might have been because it reduced all of the arguments about her status. Right. Because now she has that status. Yeah. Sort of regardless. She's not just going to get cast off. Yeah, she has that land. Yeah. And even more than that, in 1436, the next year, she was named a Lady of the Garter. Okay. Which is pretty cool. So the Order of the Garter had only been established by Edward III back at the beginning of the Hundred Years' War. Right. And it's basically an order of knights who are supposed to embody all that is best in chivalry. Right. It still exists today. Yes, I know. Yeah, people still get the Order of the Garter. Mm. And it's the highest honour in the UK nowadays. Is it named after Sir Gawain and the Green Knight? It's not, but it has a connection with it. Ah, okay. So people aren't 100% sure why it's the Order of the Garter. Okay. I think one argument I saw was that um, he created it because he was starting the Hundred Years' War and wanted to establish his rights as the King of France. Okay. And so the idea behind the Order of the Garter was um, because the Garter is like the thing that you use to tie on your armour. Right, okay. But... We're we're not thinking of, like, ladies' underclothing here. No, no. (laughs) Uh, But... The Order of the Garter's motto is Onisuaki Malipons, which is Middle French, which right. means shame on him who thinks evil of it. Okay. And a lot of people have linked that to Sir Gawain and the Green Knight for obvious reasons, because in the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, mm-hmm. um, Gawain, when he receives the garter, which he's been given by 
a lady is very ashamed of it. Yeah. Because it shows that he was not a perfect knight. He got seduced by mm. basically the possibility of being immortal. Right, yeah. Um like to to shorten down the whole story. Yes. It's long. Uh, yeah. And he gets he got seduced by the possibility of escaping death. Um so when he went back to the round table, all of the other knights um thought that he is still the best knight and so they copied him by wearing a garter as well right and he was wearing the garter to show that he was ashamed yeah but they were wearing the garter to show that it was a sign of like great courage and bravery because yeah. they still thought he was courageous and we brave. still love you going we still love you going <laughs> i still need to watch that sir gowan and the green knight yeah, apparently it is very good but you know I have such high hopes of it, I'm worried. I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes like a film or a TV show or something comes along and you kind of put it off because you really don't want it to disappoint you. Yeah, yeah, basically. I have been assured that uh, Gawain is exactly the right level of kind of annoying. Yeah. Which is what I want, really. Yeah, I mean, so Gawain in the story is just kind of... He's not quite holier than thou. He's but... trying to be the best person. Yeah. And he's like, that's what everyone should be like. Yeah. It's a bit like when Elon Musk is like, oh, everyone should work the hours I work. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but you're insane. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so yeah, it might be linked. It, it might be linked in that way, yeah. the idea of shame. So anyway, she was named a Lady of the Garter. Again, showing how important she was being seen yeah. as. And especially along these ideas of chivalry that she's already associated with yeah. through like music and art and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, at this point, Eleanor is very aware of how important she's become. Yeah. She's basically the most important woman in the whole of England at this time. And therefore, the rest of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're not onto the Tudors yet, so we're okay. (laughs) But one major problem in her life was that she and Humphrey had not had a legitimate heir. Oh, damn. She might have been thinking about the fact that she might become queen. Yeah. And obviously, if you are queen, you really need an heir. Yeah. Otherwise, that's how you get into the Wars of the Roses in the first place. It is. Humphrey and she might have had one or two children before they were married. Okay. Humphrey definitely had two illegitimate children, but we don't know if they were Eleanor's as well. Well, we know he likes putting it about. He does. (laughs) Um, But those wouldn't have counted as heirs because of their illegitimacy. Yeah. I mean, previous people had tried adopting their previously illegitimate children when they married their mother, uh, but that was kind of what started the Wars of the Roses, so I think maybe people would have said absolutely not. Fair enough. So she had known a lady called Marjorie Georgemain for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. and she had bought what are called potions from her. Oh, amazing. In order to help her conceive. Oh, okay. Not potions of fire resistance. Not potions of fire resistance. Basically, (laughs) like, as with all witchcraft of the medieval era, she bought potions. It was some kind of made-up medicine Mm -hmm. in order to try and help her have children. And apparently a lot of women of the court knew Marjorie. Right, yeah. And, like, had visited her for help, conceiving, falling in love, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. All all your basic witchcraft needs. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, And she also gained an interest in her horoscope. And she got some horoscope readings from her physician, who was called Thomas Southwell. Okay. He was also the canon of St. Stephen's in Westminster. So he seems to have been an interesting man with all the jobs. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
And also a man called Roger Bolingbroke, who was the principal of St. Andrew's Hall at Oxford, wrote her a horoscope as well. Right. So this was a pretty established practice at the time, having your horoscope. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just like nowadays where you get the little thing saying, avoid salad on Tuesdays. Yeah. Kind of, Love is coming your way. <laughs> your lucky colour is red. Yeah. The, um, the horoscope readings of these days really track down... You the... will die on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, they really track down the whole idea of your life. And right. often people would have them made as soon as their son was born. Like, they'd track the exact minute that the baby was born. And oh, then so you'd be able to work it's it out. like the natal chart thing yes. that you can do nowadays with horoscopes. Yeah, it's a natal chart was what they would create usually. Right. So, unfortunately for Eleanor, both of these horoscopes predicted that Henry VI would become seriously ill Oh no! in the summer of 1441. Right. The same year that she got the horoscopes. Yeah. And she didn't manage to keep all of the secrets. Oh no, right, yeah. And the thing was, people were on it straight away. As right. soon as the rumours started spreading around the court, everybody involved was in trouble because... If you say Henry VI will become seriously ill in the summer, it can be seen as wishing that the king would die. Yeah. And that's treason. Right, okay. Was there an idea that this was... I mean, it, it seems like horoscopes were a big deal. Yes. Was there an idea that one could escape one's fate? So if it had been predicted that we would become seriously ill, could they then go, okay, we're going to stop this? Or is it like, well, we're nope. buggered? Uh, you cannot change your horoscope. Right. Because I think it's partly because the idea is like, firstly, it's fate. Yeah. And secondly, it's kind of interlinked with the idea that God affects everything anyway. Yeah, I was wondering if it was going to be linked to like God and mm. and that sort of fate. It's interesting because the way that they view these horoscopes within the case of Eleanor yeah. seems to be that it's kind of the other way around. It's... um. It's witchcraft. Oh, I see. Yeah. But originally, like, it's it it's a bit of an odd position because a lot of people did this. Yeah. Like, Henry II had um, a horoscope made when he was born. Oh, fair. Like, it was... <laughs> he commissioned it himself. <laughs> Straight out <laughs> the womb. The, on the duck. <laughs> well, I mean, like, a lot of instrumentation was created around tracking the stars, partly for the purpose of horoscope writing. That's amazing. I know, isn't it? <laughs> But, you know, it was that important. Yeah. But the idea was, like, you can't try and change fate much in the same way that you can't try and change what God has laid out. Yeah. But then the fact that it is all of this sort of, like, I guess semi-scientific, semi-mystical, it kind of flits between those two different ideas, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I see. Um, so, Southwell, Bolingbroke... And Eleanor's personal chaplain were brought in front of the King's Council mwap, mwap. on the 24th and 25th of June, 1441. Yeah. And they were questioned about the horoscopes. At this point, Bolingbroke said that Eleanor had commissioned them. Right. Which is how Eleanor got linked to the whole thing. Yeah. And on the 10th of July, they were arrested. As in Southwell and Bolingbroke were arrested. Right. On charges of heresy... Oh, okay. Not sure why. Oh. And treasonable necromancy. Okay, if you're going to be charged with anything, that is quite possibly the coolest thing to be charged with. It's pretty cool. Like, it sounds bad. It sounds like you are not going to come out of that well. 
but you do get to have gone down for treasonable necromancy. Now, the thing is, in medieval times, all witchcraft seems to have been able to be defined as necromancy. They don't mean talking to the dead, necessarily. Okay. They just called it necromancy, like, full stop, no matter what. Oh, fair enough. So whenever, like, in Le Mort d'Arthur, the, like, definitive King Arthur legend stories, um, whenever they talk about, I think it was Mordred who was taught magic by somebody yeah. they said and he was taught in the ways of necromancy by nuns right <laughs> <laughs> which is also something that happens a lot in king arthur legends god damn it you necromantic nuns i know right so they are accused of treasonable necromancy in other words using witchcraft to wish ill on the king yeah which sounds so much cooler than that though i mean yes now, when Eleanor heard about these arrests, because she's not been arrested yet, yeah, she attempted to seek sanctuary in Westminster Abbey. Okay. And this led to a really interesting legal argument, which was basically, can somebody who's been accused of treasonable necromancy through acts of witchcraft and heresy seek sanctuary? But she hasn't been accused. At this point, she had been accused. Oh, they okay. were going to go and try and arrest her. Right, okay. They, they just held off on her a bit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like they wanted to arrest everyone else who had who were witnesses right. before they try arresting oh. the most powerful woman in England. Right, yeah, th- that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I-, I would do that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would. So the question is, can she seek sanctuary? And they decided... Um, like, a whole panel of bishops had to be appointed to of decide course. whether she could have sanctuary. I mean, we already know from recent episodes that medieval people absolutely loved the legal system. Absolutely. Um, and in this case, the bishops said that if you were judged for alleged treason or use of witchcraft, you could not have the protection of the church. Okay. But that's like the judgment for Eleanor Cobham. Yeah. And then it becomes the judgment for all people accused of treason or witchcraft. Right. Okay. Which, I mean, is pretty cool and interesting. Yeah. So not just witchcraft or like anything relate- actually related to the church, but also yeah. treason as well, just in general. Yeah, which I guess makes sense if the church wants to maintain its positive relationships with yeah, the state. that makes sense. So yeah, so they say, that's it, she's got to go. So she gets arrested properly as well. So from the 24th of July in 1441, yeah. she and Roger Bolingbroke, a John Hume... Thomas Southwell and Marjorie Jordmain, our lady selling potions, yeah. were all tried by a tribunal mm-hmm. for treasonable necromancy. Whee! Hey. Um, Eleanor was accused of 18 charges um, that all linked to this idea. Right. Uh, she accepted guilt on five counts, mostly about buying the potions. Right. Which, I mean... Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think they felt, though, that her buying the potions and Marjorie Jordman selling the potions might have been, in its own way, a sort of act of treason. Okay. Because if she's trying to have children, oh, specifically right. when she thinks that she might become queen, right. that's kind of wishing the king will die so that her children can become yeah, kings. Yeah, that you makes know what sense. I, mean? I understand that, yeah. In any case, they definitely did not like Marjorie Jordman as a basis on this. Yeah. So, our story that started off so romantic ends up a little bit tragic. Oh, no. Mm, because they all get found guilty. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Southwell died while he was still being imprisoned in the Tower of London. Okay. Bolingbroke had the 
um, the penalty for treason, which okay. was hanged, drawn, and quartered. Right, nasty stuff. Nasty stuff. And George Main was burned at the stake. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Guess why? Uh, heresy. No. Oh. Okay. Treason. Oh, right. Okay. Damn it. Well, well done. You didn't get caught up by my witchcraft snare. Yes, because uh, have we discussed this before? That witches weren't burned? I think we may have done some throwaway lines on it. Yeah. But it is one of those things where we tend to think, because media gives it to us all the time, that yeah. women were burned for witchcraft always. Hmm. I think so- I think uh, somewhere in America... Sort of later on, weren't they? I don't know. If you're thinking about like Salem, yeah, no, they were hanged. Oh, okay, hmm. fair enough. So some people were. It's basically it's like the whole "Did you die of COVID or did you die with COVID?" thing. Did you <laughs> die of burning or did you die while being burnt? No, it's um, <laughs> were you executed for witchcraft? Right. Or were you executed for something and witchcraft? And witchcraft, right? Okay. So a lot of the time. People like there were a lot of witches burned on the continent, apparently, sort of Italy, Spain. Okay, and um, because they were executed for heresy, right? Uh, which you're absolutely right, tended to include being burned. Yeah, um, but they weren't being executed by burning because they were witches, but mm. it was because they saw witchcraft as a type of heresy. Right. In this case, George Main was burned at the stake because if a woman committed treason, yeah, then the usual execution was to be burnt. Right, I see. Whereas men were hang- hung, drawn and quartered. I see. I don't know why there's a gender difference here. I don't know, both are nasty. They're both <laughs> nasty. I don't know which one's actually worse, but mm. apparently that was like the distinction they drew. Yeah. And incidentally, this was actually George Main's second offence. Oh, <laughs> She, she had, survived the first burning. She had been arrested for sorcery before. Amazing. She had been imprisoned at Windsor Castle for some months in 1430 as a result. Right. This might have been for treasonable necromancy. Oh. But this time round, she didn't get away with it. Oh, that's interesting. Because I was about to say maybe she did, it, she was like arrested for witchcraft, but there wasn't treason involved. But yeah, ooh, it's curious. weird. But the the women, the thing is that she might have been one of seventeen. No, she might have been one of seven women, right? Who was accused of um, treasonable necromancy against the previous king, right? But they were imprisoned. They weren't executed. Oh, it was uh, lenient times, and you know what that leads to. More treasonable necromancy. Yeah, absolutely. They should have burned them when they could, and then it would have been a lesson <laughs> to other witches. Incidentally, I've I've got a soft spot for Marjorie, to be honest. She sounds kind of cool. And um, she is known now as Marjorie Jordman, the Witch of Eye, which was a place Ooh. near um, near London. Yes, but it just sounds so good. Yeah, super the cool. Witch of Eye. Witch of Eye. And she had uh, songs made about her, like skipping rhyme type songs. Yeah. About how she used to make potions for love and children, like. Oh. She lived. She lived on for a while in in culture, <laughs> but not in life. <laughs> but not in life. No. I mean, she was apparently an old lady at this point. Yeah. Which is like sad, obviously, but at the same time, it's like she had a life. Yeah. Um, Eleanor, meanwhile, is a noblewoman, so she doesn't get any of this. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, she has. Oh, she can't be executed like the prowls. Well, she didn't get the best outcome, but she didn't get the worst either. Okay. So, on three market days in November 1441, she had to walk barefoot to three churches bearing a taper. 
<laughs> Not the animal. <laughs> I can see you imagining a little thing with a little cute wiggly snout. It's so cute. I would love to do that. I don't even mind about the being barefoot thing. Can I just carry the tape here? Not a tapir, a taper. Oh, but it's so cute. It's got that long snout and it wiggles. I mean, that would be, it would be pretty heavy, to be honest. I like, know, but it would be so cute. I'm you not get, sure it would like it. You get to hug it all the way. What if it started biting you? I don't think it would. It would be a nice, friendly tapir. Okay. No, a candle. Right, okay. <laughs> God damn it. Less cute. I spotted your face. <laughs> Ah, uh, we've been together too long. Yeah. <laughs> you know when I'm thinking about tapirs. I do know when you're thinking about tapirs. All right, so the reason for this was like a public act of penance for what she had done. Yeah, makes sense. Um, she also had a divorce imposed upon her. Oh, damn. Um, Ending her marriage to Duke Humphrey, which stripped her of her titles and removed her rights to any of the Duke's wealth. Oh. Which is oh, really sad. They loved really each sad. other. Yeah, that's really sad. But this is basically how we know that the whole thing is about getting rid of Eleanor and stopping her being the Duchess and yeah. all of that. And she also was perpetually imprisoned, which is, you know, fairly rare, but seems to happen for noble women. Yeah. So she was initially sent to Chester. Um, she got moved around a few different castles until her death in 1452. Oh, fair enough. Hmm. But I thought it was kind of an interesting story, if yeah. only because it's one of our stories of, you know, witchcraft as it happened in medieval times, yeah. which doesn't really follow the same pattern as witchcraft trials in the sort of 1600s yeah. at all. It's mostly about doing horoscopes and making potions to make babies. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it, and I think kind of interesting because it's one of those stories where we go, oh, she was accused of witchcraft. Oh, it's definitely because people just did not like her. Yeah. Much like Anne Boleyn, she was accused of witchcraft, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get rid of her. Yep. If you want to get rid of women, everyone. Troublesome wenches. Just accuse them of witchcraft. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in this pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and beware of treasonable necromancy. Bye!